0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off.
1: LinkedIn presents.
0: We hear a lot about flow, that amazing state where we do our absolute best, But here's the problem with flow. It happens out of the blue and rarely. And if you expect that of yourself every day, you're bound to fail. It's far better to aim for optimal, a steady series of good days
1: where we do our best. Hi, I'm Michael Kovnat. This is the next Big Idea Daily, and it's Friday. I hope you're having a good day. I hope you're having a great day. You probably hope that as well. But you know, there's no reason you have to rely on hope alone. You can absolutely set yourself up for a great day by employing simple habits. This is according to the new book, Optimal, How to Sustain Personal and Organizational Excellence Every Day, co-authored by Daniel Goleman. Daniel is the author of the number one bestseller, Emotional Intelligence. He was a science reporter for the New York Times, was twice nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, and received the American Psychological Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. Here he is to share the big ideas from his new book.
0: I'm Daniel Goleman. You know me for my work on emotional intelligence. I'm going to read you some big ideas from my new book, Optimal. Big idea number one be kind to yourself. She was a nurse in a Boston hospital working on the intensive care unit during a surge in COVID. Day after day, she was treating patients who were suffering the worst, many of whom died. Her work made her feel awful. But that nurse made an intentional decision not to let this destroy her own well-being. So she got up earlier every day so she could start it with a long run. She organized Zoom get-togethers with close friends where they talked about fun memories or plans, not their troubles. She did a round of yoga and meditation. She called friends and family she hadn't seen in years just to reconnect. She felt she was spreading joy. In effect, the nurse was fighting the forces that too often lead to emotional exhaustion and burnout. What she did gives us several strategies for beating constant stress. The first, find meaning. A sense of purpose helps buffer stress and makes us more likely to reappraise events in light of some deeper meaning. Studies show that people with a purpose-focused life are less likely to brood about stresses and setbacks and quicker to recover their inner equilibrium. Second, Focus on what's important to you, even when faced with toxic levels of stress. Meditation can help here. All meditation at base retrains attention so you can concentrate better. These mental workouts, research finds, make us less reactive to stress and help us recover from it more quickly. The third is just take a break. Our bodies are designed for bouts of stress arousal, but then need a period of recovery. For instance, balance work in the rest of your life. The two are often in a tug-of-war, which means you need to schedule time for family and friends. In fact, see that you make time daily for whatever restores you. It might be playing with a pet or a child or walking in nature or time with loved ones. You'll return to the fray with renewed energy, clarity, and calm. Be kind to others, too. Think of a boss you've had or heard about whom you loved. Now think of one you or everyone hated. What's one trait that made that boss so loved or hated? That's a question about leadership, good and bad, that I've asked groups around the world. By the way, anyone in a position of authority, like a parent or a teacher, is a leader in that situation. The answers everywhere about good and bad bosses are surprisingly similar. The traits that people love mean a leader is approachable, trustworthy, and caring. I see the key to being a leader people like as coming down to how you show empathy. To be more specific about what empathy means, there are three kinds, each based in different circuits in the brain. One kind is cognitive empathy, understanding how the other person sees their world This is more than just getting their perspective. It's understanding the terms they use to explain their world to themselves and using that same language to message to them most effectively. Then there's emotional empathy, sensing how that person feels moment to moment. This lets you acknowledge their feelings, either explicitly or implicitly. This keeps your connection on the same page at a deeper level. And the third kind is called technically empathic concern. This means you not only get how the person thinks and feels, but also care about them. You want what's best for them. This is like a parent's love for a child. In a business setting, it might mean a leader who coaches or mentors someone, helping them along in their career. It's this third variety, caring, that seems a hallmark of loved leaders worldwide. The first two Cognitive and emotional empathy alone can be used to manipulate people. And a good AI program certainly could seem to have cognitive empathy and a surface emotional empathy, but it's unlikely to care about how its actions impact people. As Reinhold Niebuhr famously put it, Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. At the organizational level, this awareness lets us know the social realities, such as how decisions that matter to us are made and what might be changed for the better. And at the personal level, empathic concern means within those constraints, we're kind. Have a great day, but not your best ever. We hear a lot about flow, that amazing state where we do our absolute best, That one time we outdid ourselves. But here's the problem with flow. It happens out of the blue and rarely. And if you expect that of yourself every day, you're bound to fail. It's far better to aim for optimal, a steady series of good days where we do our best. We're more productive, committed, and engaged. We feel good while enjoying our work, and we connect well with those around us. It's better to aim for such a day than to count on getting into flow. The optimal state underlying a good day, compared to flow, is more realistically attainable. Here's a method for enhancing whatever we do. Pay full attention. Harvard research shows people are distracted, not paying attention to what they're doing, about 50% of the time on average. When folks are watching a video screen or commuting or at work, or sorry to say, they're distracted about 90% of the time. But we can take control of our attention, choosing to put our full focus on what we're doing in a given moment. That means we're not distracted. But the payoff is even greater. We do better and enjoy it more. And we can strengthen the circuits in our brain for ignoring distractions and paying full attention. One proven method is meditation, most any brand. At base, every variety of meditation means retraining attention to strengthen our capacity for focus. A daily practice of meditation is like going to the gym every day to strengthen your muscles, except attention training does this for your brain circuitry. As with working out at the gym, the payoffs are gradual but very real. There's another bonus, one for our success at work. Organizations measure optimal through a different lens, through measures that matter for a company. Levels of our engagement and satisfaction with our job, lowering turnover, that is, being less likely to quit, and helping others out beyond our specific role. For an organization, optimal means doing well on measures like performance and engagement. For each of us, it means having a good day. Belonging matters. One limit of many organizational programs on diversity and inclusion can be seen in their simply trying to get the right numbers of given groups, proportions that reflect their status in the general population. This may seem to indicate success at diversity and inclusion, but if you ignore whether or not those people feel they belong, you're missing the point. When Google analyzed its own teams, it turned out one of the hallmarks of the most successful groups was a sense of psychological safety, that, for instance, a team member could risk suggesting a new creative idea without being put down. Vanessa Dreskat, a psychologist at the University of New Hampshire's business school, studied outstanding teams for decades. Her analysis of what helps a team excel is that members have a sense of belonging. Druskat's observations of teams in action yielded a set of pointers. One set details ways team leaders and members act that destroy this sense of belonging. In short, these come down to seeming not to care about what a given team member says. For example, looking at your phone or starting a side conversation when that person is speaking. On the other hand, paying full attention to that person signals that he or she belongs and that what they say and what they have to do matters. When these positive ways of acting are agreed on by group members, they become norms, the implicit ground rules for how to behave. Druscat founds that a set of emotionally intelligent norms typify high-performing teams, among them that everyone there belongs.
1: Thank you, Daniel. All right, everyone. Now you're all set up for next week with some powerful tools for success. Don't say I never did anything for you. That's it for us. This week's episodes were written by me, Michael Kovnat, and edited by Caleb Bissinger. The Next Big Idea Daily is part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with a fresh batch of big ideas for you. See you then.